It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we've got PFF's Evan McPhillips joining us for segments two and three, where we get into the PFF grades and insights for the Bengals' loss to the San Francisco 49ers, and it was a blowout, so there's not a lot of positivity coming coming your way in this one, but we try to find some silver linings, some things that there were a few players that played well. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about some of the guys on the bench that maybe could step in and give you something that we have a lot of known quantities at this point. And so we have some questions about some of those backups. Your Lockdown Bengals lead story today is the Bengals injury situation and some of the players that might get pressed into duty as a response to those injuries. I'm Jake Lisko, along with Joe Goodberry. We got an injury update from Zach Taylor today and learned that Outside of potentially Carl Lawson and Kerry Wynn, who's in the concussion protocol, Michael Jordan's going to miss a game. Sounds like Andre Smith is expected to be okay. And when asked, Carl Lawson himself said that he would probably be okay. So it sounds like left guard, that competition is opening back up for at least another few days. And many would think it would be last year's first round pick, Billy Price, replacing Michael Jordan at that left guard spot. But I would say slow down just a little bit on that based on the way Billy Price entered the game last week and was quickly uh, put to work by the San Francisco front four. Maybe he's not ready to step in at left guard. Maybe we see John Jerry, who did step in for Andre Smith at left tackle and perform decently. Maybe he steps in at left guard and plays there. And I think if Michael Jordan misses more than a week, maybe it's two weeks, we could see the return of Alex Redmond and maybe he's inserted into that left guard spot. You'll certainly be in the mix of that position, and that is not something that I anticipated before the season started, but the cascade of injuries to left tackle Jonah Williams and then Cordy Glenn, Clint Bowling retires, now we have the initial starter Michael Jordan out with an injury, we're down to guard number four and tackle number four on the left side, and that side of the offensive line has struggled. Trey Hopkins has been every bit the starting center that you would want him to be, and many expected him to be. So far, he's graded out as a top 10 center this year, according to Pro Football Focus. Meanwhile, right guard John Miller had a really good game this week, again, according to Pro Football Focus. And on the right tackle side of the ball, well, we know exactly what Bobby Hart is. On the left side, though, down to fourth string at two positions, and it's no wonder the Bengals' offensive line is struggling. 
And it's starting to take the toll on the entire offense. As you see, Andy Dalton is starting to uh, struggle a little bit more with pressure. He's starting to feel a little bit more. Uh, looking at PFF stats today, while he's only being pressured 35% of his dropbacks, which is typically normal for him, he already has taken accredited for himself at three sacks this year are his fall out of the nine. And he only was, was charged with three sacks all of last year. So uh, you can see it's already starting to have an effect on him a little bit. And I think if, if this passing offense is really going to get off and the running game is going to get off the ground, this offensive line is going to need to get a little bit more stability, even if they're not going to be good, you can get that familiarity, that comfort level with the same five guys. And they just haven't had the chance to do that all spring, summer, and now fall. Zach Taylor did say, talking about the running game, that it looks like on a few plays, and he called them quote-unquote good running plays, meaning they're not in a disadvantageous down and distance, he said that it was a different guy every time, and four guys would have it blocked well, or five guys would have it blocked well, and then there would be a missed block somewhere where the backside guy maybe is going to eat it up, or maybe the actual intended point of attack for the running play, the front side guy doesn't hit a key block and everyone else executes, and We've heard this refrain, I feel like, from the Bengals for three years now, where they're always one player away. It's different guys making mistakes. This is something that we've heard about this team for a long time now, and we're not seeing them replace those players or make a determined effort to improve at spots that are weaknesses. And this was no more apparent than anywhere else for the Bengals than at linebacker this week. When Preston Brown and Nick Vigil both looked slow, they both looked unable to wade through the trash. And the 49ers are a very athletic team, but Preston Brown and Nick Vigil are not the answer at linebacker. And you wonder, when is Jermaine Pratt just going to get on the field? Jermaine Pratt, third round pick, rookie drafted because he is an athlete. And at this point, I don't care if he's a little bit raw as a former safety because the guys that are out there that are expected to be the veteran presence presence at linebacker are not contributing in a positive way right now. There's a bunch of plays where you can see these guys couldn't get scraped over the top, couldn't get to the next gap, couldn't get to the outside. They were completely outmatched athletically and definitely by speed. And I, I think if the Bengals are going to continue down this road where they're going to put in an extra corner, maybe bring in an extra defensive lineman. All, all it's going to do is hamstring them one way or the other if they're at the mercy of a creative offense that can take advantage. If the Bengals want to bring an extra corner out, they're going to run the ball on them. If they're going to bring an extra defensive lineman out, they're going to try to throw the ball on the Bengals. And so far, uh, I think Seattle in the second half and San Fran throughout the entire game were able to take advantage of both situations. The San Francisco offensive line, much better than what we saw from Seattle. Another sign that the Bengals are going to just struggle against better offensive lines because the strength of the team being the defensive line, if they get slowed down, if the Bengals get behind, if you go out and play Baltimore and they're run blocking well, well, you just don't have a chance to come back because you're giving up seven running yards per play while the game is still within reach. The Bengals will try to get their season back on track and rebound under Zach Taylor when they visit Buffalo this week, and we'll see if they can pull it off. This has been your Locked On Bengals lead story. For Joe Goodberry, I'm Jake Lisko. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. 
If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Today we're joined by Evan McPhillips from Pro Football Focus. He runs the PFF Bengals account. Is that something I'm allowed to say on air, Evan? (laughs) I, I think you're okay with that, yeah. All right, so this is Evan McPhillips with PFF and our PFF game recap. Evan, let's start with you telling us the most interesting observations from a PFF perspective. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball where the Bengals had a hard time getting the running game going for the second week in a row. Uh, Zach Taylor says it's a different guy making a mistake on every play. He thinks they're close. What does PFF think? Well, it was good in the sense that Trey Hopkins and John Jerry were the two best linemen in that same area again for us. Um, it didn't look good from John Mil- or I'm sorry, from Michael Jordan, um, which he looked like a fourth round rookie. That's, that's all there is to it. Uh, he struggled a little bit in the run game. Uh, he had a 33.7 run blocking grade uh, lowest on the team. And his pass blocking was a little bit better, but not much with a 45.5 mm. and, it just did not look good from that standpoint. Unfortunately, he had the injury. Um, Andre Smith wasn't much better at left tackle. He ended up with a 43.6. You can kind of take away from the offensive line performance that, you know, okay, well, we've got at least two average offensive linemen and John Jerry and Trey Hopkins from this last performance. But you want to at least see that level of consistency where we know that the Bengals aren't going to have one of the better offensive lines, but we want to see at least a couple guys – or the group as a whole playing at or near average as best as we can. Because as we've seen with guys like Laramie Tunsil, you can make these trades for these big guys. You can get these bookend guys. But if the rest of the offensive line is just a sieve where people are just getting through every gap, it's not going to matter how well your left tackle is holding up. If a guy can just walk right by your right tackle, which like you guys referenced, it seemed almost every play there was something going on, whether it was a, run to the left. We had a stretch play to the left. I remember Bobby Hart got beat on one and it came down and got tracked down on the backside. You know, it was great blocking on the left side. It was one of the best block plays I saw on the run. And I said, Oh wow. And then all of a sudden he gets tackled right at the line of scrimmage for none to gain. So it's tough. And you just want to see cohesion on the line. You want to see them passing off these stunts. You want to see them communicating and feeling like they're getting at least a little bit of push and getting some open space for these running backs who just quite frankly have not had much yard much space to run at all and john miller looked like he was your second highest graded right guard of the week so there were a few positives for the lion trey hopkins being a steady presence in the middle he had a tougher week in pass blocking it looks like but he and john miller both graded out pretty well in the run blocking game and 
Looks like Auden Tate was the asset in the run blocking for a wide receiver that you would like to see. Heels only out there for six run blocking snaps, but he's a big guy. Get some contribution from him there. So yes, the, the offensive line sounds like work in progress, especially at the tackles, and left guard is now up in the air again. Evan, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel, or maybe the fan base should feel about the start for Andy Dalton. When you look at his numbers, I mean, four touchdowns to one interception, nearly 100 quarterback rating, 65% completions. He's second in the league in yards. But when you look at his grade and even other places, you use ESPN's QBR, he's in the 20s ranked. I mean, how should we feel for when a guy puts up um, traditional statistics like this? versus maybe the advanced analytics like you guys provide and it there's such a discrepancy there uh and how would you summarize how he started this year is it good or is it just okay so this is where pff grades try and add a little context because when you start getting into these metrics like yards per game people will say oh well andy dalton has passed yards per game he's you know look at him he's 400 yards how could that be a bad game you know and or, you know, Zeke Elliott, he's got 200, you know, 200 yards. Well, if you get it on 35 carries, it's it kind of devalues it a little bit. Yeah, the raw total is good, but the efficiency is not there. And that's kind of something that we've seen where Andy Dalton hasn't been great. He hasn't been bad. He's been just very average. Like we've said, there's he's got, I want to say it's two turnover worthy plays and two big time throws, which puts him right in the middle. You know, he's not taking a lot of risks but he's also not taking a lot of shots. And we've seen a couple ones that he's tried to, and there's been some miscommunications. There was that third and fourth throw that he had to try and hit Erickson downfield. He had him over the top and threw it behind him. There was a miscommunication there. He's been willing to take those shots sometimes, and he looks a little bit more comfortable in this offense doing so, but we just haven't seen it quite gel and connect yet. So we want to see that. And based on the turnover-worthy throws and the big-time throws, he's coming around in the middle and lower side of the pack because he's just not getting the opportunity. And it's really tough when (laughs) you're dropping back and unfortunately you're getting a lot of pressure and some of it you're creating for yourself. But when you're putting yourself in holes where, you know, you get your 14 to seven and then you're running up your third and 16, you guys are in a close game and then you do a forward pass, you know, it's third and 16. You need to take just a couple yards, try and get yourself closer for a field goal. If you can, you can take the shot if you need to, but you want to understand that, A, Bullock is not a good field goal kicker as he's proven time and time again. So we need to take yards if we can get it. And running forward and making that decision, I understand trying to create a play, but you also need to be able to just take some yards and make the right play. And there were just a few instances like that where there was the miscommunication with Erickson. There was the forward pass on third and 16. There was the force pass to Tyler Eifert on that corner route when he was thrown over Quan Alexander that results in the interception. You understand trying to make a play, but you also want him to be able to do it within the terms of the offense. So he's been okay. We'd like to see him be able to elevate the guys around him a little better, but we know that's just not Andy Dalton. We know that's not him. And so with the season going the way it goes, whatever way it ends up, the question is going to be, you know, does the coaching staff want to move on from Dalton? And ultimately, I borrow a phrase from Daniel Jeremiah and from Buggy Brooks on their Move the Sticks podcast. They talk about a player is either a truck or a trailer. You're either getting pulled along by your team or you're elevating your team. You're pulling them along to victory. And it's getting to the point where Andy Dalton's not a truck. He's a trailer. The 49ers only blitzed Dalton three times on the way to getting pressure on, what, roughly 35% of the snaps back there. So 
There's something on tape for sure. People know if you can get pressure on Dalton without blitzing, and that should be most teams in the league with the state of this offensive line, you can get Dalton into some trouble making some bad decisions. Interestingly, the interception he threw rolling right to Eifert was one of the blitzes, and I'm curious to know about the uh, comeback turnover-worthy throw I think that you guys probably have down. This should have been a pick six for Akello Weatherspoon that he just left inside. But let's shift gears to the defense. Let's try to find some silver linings. We talked a little bit about John Miller had a really good game. Talked about uh, Trey Hopkins looks like a top 10 center. Geno Atkins is still there on defense. But tackling, holy. I thought they'd have more missed tackles than they had tackles. They weren't quite there. But this is the worst tackling grade I can remember ever seeing for a team. Yeah, it was it was not pretty. And just watching the game, anecdotally, it really felt like they were in for a historically bad performance in terms of missed tackles. But I mean, that I think the Tennessee Titans, I want to say, had 13 this week. So there's teams that had it worse. It just seemed that every time they missed a tackle, like let's say third and one, the Matt Breida run where he cuts it back on William Jackson, where yeah. it, Jackson just seems to be off balance when he's trying to make that tackle. And Breida just shakes him loose and then gets... 34 yards down the sideline and it's these plays that they're not just missed tackles they're missed tackles that go for first downs they're missed tackles that really hurt and turn into explosive plays and they're ones that force bad tackling angles from these other defenders trying to close these gaps and so it's really making it hard on everyone else obviously (laughs) especially when you're linebackers I mean how many plays did you watch where you just said the linebackers aren't fast enough can't close to the sideline just how many times were you looking at there going, gosh, a linebacker, need a linebacker? It was just, it was, you, you just got tired of hearing yourself say it. It was every play. And you watch them dice people apart because they'd pull everybody down and they'd delay an underneath route. And then all of a sudden there'd be five, six yards of space right in front of the line of scrimmage. They need one yard to gain and they can catch and run Debo Samuel down the middle for 10 yards when he caught the ball at the three. And so it's, it's these ways that they're, picking apart this linebacking core, challenging them to the flats, trying to make Preston Brown cover Uchik on a flat route to the side. I mean, that's just, there's no way he's going to get that. The easy George Kittle catch and run for, you know, eight yards up the sideline. I mean, it's routine. These are easy throws that they're getting that they're not chunk yardage, but they're easy plays. And then we, the Bengals miss tackles and these easy plays turn into chunk plays and they start to wear you down and wear you down. And eventually there's just a breakdown. And we saw that from the Bengals on Sunday. Evan, I have some concerns about some players on defense that uh, we really had high hopes on, but we'll come to that in just a minute, all right? The Bengals don't have a home game until they host the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray in a few weeks. But if you need tickets, you should probably go check out Vivid Seats, the online ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that will last a lifetime. And if Kyler Murray is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, there's your experience of a lifetime, Joe. Yeah, but also if you want to see one of the Bengals' three wins this year, that might be a great game to get tickets to. Three wins. Ouch. Vivid Seats orders are backed by a 100% guarantee, which gives me a lot of peace of mind. I don't know about you. In the age of the internet, it's nice to have that guarantee. And there's a rewards program. Joe, tell them about it. With the reward status ranging from MVP to Hall of Famer, Customers can earn from 10% to up to 16% credit on all their purchases through the Vivid Seats app. Go get it from the app store of your choice if you're iPhone or Android and try promo code KICKOFF at checkout for a discount of up to $100. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason... 
Look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Evan, as we dig deeper in the defensive side of the ball for the Bengals, and this is Evan McPhillips from PFF, uh, I and a lot of fans had high hopes for Jesse Bates, William Jackson, and it's been sporadic to say the least, in the first two games. I think Bates, we could potentially have two plays here, long touchdowns, where I'm not sure if he's supposed to take that crossing route, that guy underneath, or if he's supposed to hang back and be more of a deep free safety. I'm really not, I don't have a handle on this defense yet for what Lou Anarumo is calling. When you guys get a play like that where you're confused, or or maybe I'm confused and you guys aren't, but uh, how does PFF decide? And is it concerning so far for Bates and William Jackson through two games? So William Jackson obviously had his struggles against the Niners. Um, that play that you talked about where it seems like Jackson's covering Kittle across the middle and just gets tossed. And Bates, I kind of think, reacts to that maybe a little bit too quickly. And then the receiver sneaks up the sideline past him because of it. And you want to you wanna kind of say that, yeah, maybe Bates should have that. But, you know, it's tough to also say that, wow, George Kittle's coming across the middle and he just threw William Jackson down on the ground. I need to go. And you just kind of react to it. Um, so that was tough on both of those guys. Um, they had that play where Jesse Bates just kind of seemed to duck down in the Seattle game. And there was a little bit of miscommunication between what's going on and who's supposed to cover the middle of the field. Um, it's It's been tough for them, kind of feeling each other out. And there's definitely been some sophomore slump from Jesse Bates and – William Jackson just flat out did not look good when trying to play the run uh, against the Niners. He had some issues where he seemed to lose his balance and he didn't seem to take very sharp angles. It made me kind of think maybe he tweaked something and was hurt a little bit. I don't know if you guys go back and watch the replay or when you're watching all the 22, see if maybe that stands out to you a little bit. But there was just something that didn't look right to him. And, you know, there could be a factor of maybe the score was just a little bit out out of sorts at that point and he wasn't really trying to the play that was on the far side of the field but he just didn't quite look spry to me so that may be something to keep an eye on going forward but the Bengals secondary really just has not been good as a whole and that's unfortunate and I think that's something Jake and I talked about in post game with Kirkpatrick and William Jackson the edges were attacked by uh, by 49ers against the Bengals and both those corners really failed to step up and make tackles a lot of fans right now are upset with Kirkpatrick, and really, it's if it's not the penalties, it's the missed tackles. What would you say over the years Dre is good at? And is there anybody backing them up? Is it Darius Phillips? Is it, somebody, is it time for one of these guys to play uh, over him? Now it's tough because there's always got to be someone to pick on, right? And that seems to be Dre Kirkpatrick, and part of that's his draft pedigree and the fact that he's been a relatively average corner in the NFL um, penalties have been an issue for him, but he's been largely a much better man-to-man corner than he has been a zone corner since he's been in the NFL and especially over the last few years. And there was a stretch down the, uh, down the I want to say the le- week 11 on that he and William Jackson were both top 10 in yards per coverage snaps. So it's not that they don't have the ability to play well. It's just that 
there's so much newness going on right now that I think they just need some time to kind of figure things out. Um, you saw on the touchdown, uh, they, I want to say it was the third quarter, they stacked their receivers on the right side, and then there was a miscommunication between Drake Kirkpatrick and William Jackson about who was supposed to pick up the outside. And it's easy to hate Drake Kirkpatrick when you see him on the replay and he looks lost and is turning around with his hands up. It's, it's easy to blame that guy. But, you know, sometimes the fault can lie on multiple people. And so it's tough to it's tough sledding for Drake Kirkpatrick. He hasn't graded well. He hasn't played well. And there's no real way to cover that up. He let up five catches on six targets for 97 yards against the Niners and a touchdown. I mean, he was just, I mean, basically not even there. And so it's definitely hurting the Bengals that they can't cover. And part of that, too, is that the San Francisco 49ers offensive line really handled the trenches. I mean, they were getting push. They were moving out in space. I mean, I saw on one play on the Raheem Mostert screen on the left side that they took way up the sideline, their center <laughs> walked over and one-handed, uh, I think it was Andrew Billings. And then Preston Brown decided to take an underneath pursuit angle, which I don't think Preston Brown should ever try and do on any running back. But regardless, he nearly got there, but then the center at the same time takes his right hand and just grabs Preston Brown's chest and shoves him back. And it's just like, man, it's so hard when you're already having a tough day tackling to get multiple guys blocked by one lineman and they're just out there just manhandling everybody running whatever they want. And they really just got out in space and got into the second level. And then missed tackles really hurt it, hurt the Bengals in the second level there too. So it was kind of a combined effort. I think the fault largely lies with the, the secondary there, but it would have been nice to see a little more from the pass rush to try and help them out. So is this a game where this is just a bad matchup for the Bengals? I talked about this on our post-game show, too, where I said San Francisco has a good offensive line. They can get pressure with their front four. They are fast. They're athletic. Is that just a good team, or is this a particularly bad matchup for the way the Bengals are constructed, in your opinion? I think it's really tough for the Bengals to be in this matchup without A.J. Green especially. Uh, you had Quan Alexander just running around the middle of the field, flying left and right, just making plays all over the place. You had Ronald Blair and DeForest Buckner just making life hell for Andy Dalton all day. I mean, they looked amazing pushing that pile and trying to get pressure and forcing Dalton. And you know Dalton, when he starts to feel that pressure, he's going to try and escape the pocket he doesn't like to step up or step left or right and maneuver he kind of likes to just get out of there and understandably so when he's been (laughs) when he's been nailed as many times as he has over the last couple of years especially behind these weaker offensive lines and so they really just made life hard for him and I do think that this was a bad matchup for the Bengals like you said because of those reasons where you have this strong defensive line with DeForest Buckner, with Ronald Blair, with D Ford. And you hadn't even mentioned Solomon Thomas, who showed up a little bit. And Nick Bosa was there at least for a couple snaps. I mean, it's just they played out of their minds. And against a Bengals offensive line that's a little bit weaker, they did just enough to where every single play, like we said, someone was a liability, whether it was in run support, whether it was trying to do pass blocking, someone was getting beat or there was some sort of pressure coming each way every time it seemed like and it was just a really unfortunate matchup for the Bengals in that sense and without some of their top playmakers to help move the ball in AJ Green it just really sapped the sapped the energy out of the offense once they got past that free Tyler Boyd play on the sideline it seemed like they kind of had the wind taken out of their sails and weren't quite moving with the same energy as they were 
You've rewatched the game. Were there any other shot plays that they tried? I mean, there was the deep throw to Damian Willis. They had a couple nice slants to John Ross. One went for a touchdown. One almost went for a touchdown. But those are, you know, short plays where you're relying on the speed of a guy. There were more deep throws when we saw the next-gen charts that Joe posted today on Twitter than I thought there were. But was it that Dalton wasn't getting the ball to those guys? Or was it those plays weren't getting called? I think it was probably a mix and you want to see the all 22 before you, you know, start making any assumptions. But I feel like there was a lot more of that. They just didn't have the time to let those plays develop. I mean, they were using, I think it was nine RPOs in their game against the Seahawks. They only managed to get four off in this game. Their quick game wasn't quite there. And I think that kind of put them in a hole early to where they couldn't kind of open up the field and challenge the 49ers to defend them sideline to sideline. It felt like they were just crowded the entire game. It felt like they didn't have space to run. It felt like they weren't able to get receivers open, that they had to earn everything. And so it makes it really difficult when you have to claw your way back from when you shoot yourself in the foot from, I guess, what was it? The first play of the game that they end up getting stuck and pinned and punting away. I mean, you know, it's sack and then run no for gain. And then all of a sudden you're punting away and it's, it's tough to get your momentum going against a team that like the 49ers when they come to play, they're as good as anybody. So, I mean, it's just, it's tough. It was a tough matchup. And I think that's, uh, it's an unfortunate one for the Bengals, but they just want to keep moving on and try and look forward to next week and see if they can try and put a dub. All right, Evan. So we're going to end this with uh, so hopefully some positivity as a lot of fans are wondering, is there any hope on the bench? Is there any position you would look at or multiple positions, players you would say, all right, well, I, I'd be benching Michael Jordan at this point. He just hasn't shown it in two games. And maybe those decisions are made for the Bengals as they're starting to deal with a little bit of injuries. But when you look at this lineup, uh, can you pinpoint maybe a guy on offense and defense that you'd say, I think the backup could potentially play better? I mean, it's, t- it's tough to look at this and try and, you know, be glass half full. But I think what Bengals fans should be really appreciative for is that John Ross is on the field. He's healthy. He played, I want to say, 86% of the snaps from last game, which was the most of any receiver. He's out there making plays. He looks good. He ran down the field at full sprint and didn't pull a hamstring or a groin. <laughs> so knock on wood, hopefully that continues and he can continue to do that. Um, you would like to see a little more out of, uh, out of Drew Sample. Maybe try and get out there in a little 12 personnel, mix it up. You know, he's been used so much as a run blocker and kind of hasn't been a factor in the passing game. I wonder if maybe they could try and use some play action and sneak him underneath the formation on a little cross or a wheel route and see if they couldn't catch somebody sleeping there. But um, as for the defensive side, uh, Darius Phillips, I mean, he looked good in the preseason. You'd like to see him maybe get a little extended run if these guys in the secondary continue to struggle and also with those injuries, maybe he just gets a little more time to keep everybody else fresh. I, I mean, it can't be worse than it has at this point and through two games. So you might as well see what you have and kind of evaluate your younger talent so that you can understand what you have going into next year and exactly where you need to build up your team. Evan, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us those unique PFF insights. You can find him on Twitter. Evan, give yourself a shout out and we'll close it out. You can find me on Twitter at emcphil. And you can follow the Bengals Twitter account for PFF at PFF underscore Bengals. And you can also go to PFF.com and you can use the promo code. I want to say join 20 is still active and you can get 20% off of any elite or edge subscription. So go ahead and do that while you still can, if you're interested in getting one.
They're a great resource for Joe and I. You'll enjoy the data and the insights that they can offer as well. Evan, it's been a lot of fun. We'll do this again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.